You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So I'm going to continue something, and if you've missed any of this, it's fine, because you're, you're going to get a lot of good stuff. It won't be hard to follow at all. But I'm going to continue ministering out of Mark chapter 4. So we're probably going to be in Mark 4, and then we'll be in Luke 8 just a little bit. And this is the parable of the sower, and this is what I have titled the paramount parable. And I call it the paramount parable because it is the most important parable in the whole uh, in the whole Bible and all of Jesus' teaching. This is the most important. And the reason I say that is because basically Jesus said the same thing. Because the disciples came to him and they said, you know, he gave this parable like he did. And they said, Lord, we don't understand what you're talking about. Anybody ever read any of Jesus' stuff? And you're like... I don't want to look stupid, Jesus, but I don't know what you're talking about here. I mean, I've, I've done that a lot because he speaks in parables. And so, you know, he, then the disciples came and said, we don't understand this. And he said, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand all the other parables. You have to have this one down. You have to understand this. And so let's start in verse 11 of Mark chapter 4. Verse 10, actually, is a better place to start. So Mark 4 and 10, and we're going to read just a little bit here, and then I'm going to come back and share a few things. So Mark 4 and 10, and in verse 10 it says, but when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So remember this, things are put in parables not to hide it from you, but to hide it for you. But for the ones that are on the outside, who are those? The ones that haven't called upon Jesus to be Lord, the ones that are outside, he has put things in parables to hide it from them. And so here's, here's a great point before we go on. Here's a great point is that it's impossible for you and I to understand spiritual truths unless the Spirit of God reveals it to us. The Bible is a spiritual book. God is a spirit. And the only way we can understand the Bible and understand the things of the Spirit is if the Spirit of God reveals it to us. So there's two different Greek phrases for the word, word, in the Bible. And one is logos, and the other one is rhema. And so logos is speaking of the written word, and I have tremendous respect for the written word of God. Amen. It is our final authority for all matters. But... To have the written word without the spoken word or without the revealed word essentially doesn't do us any good because we have to live. If we're going to live in victory, we're going to have the benefits of the written word. We have to have understanding of that written word. And what that is, is rhema. And so what we do is that when we read the word and you can be reading it and not understand what it's saying, but if your heart is open and you're looking for God to give you revelation, then what happens is that rhema will come to you and all of a sudden illumination comes and the thing that you once read that you didn't understand, all of a sudden you have understanding of what it's saying. So here's how I look at it. It's almost like rhema is almost like if you have a keyboard, you know, a piano or something like that. And you know, the whole keyboard is like the written word, but rhema is when one note is played and all of a sudden it comes alive on the inside of you. And that's what we're after is the rhema, the revealed word of God to where what is written becomes a revelation to us. So he says that all these things have been hidden from those that are outside in parables. In verse 12, it says, so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. It almost sounds like Jesus doesn't want anyone uh, to have the information, to have the revelation that's on the inside of the parables. But again, what he's saying is he doesn't want people to just mentally come to an understanding and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I got that. He's, he's always after the journey. He's always after the relationship because you can't understand the things of God unless the spirit of God reveal it to you. And you can't have the spirit of God reveal it to you unless you have a personal relationship with him. So it always comes back to God having a relationship with us and revealing those things to us personally. And so in verse 30, 13, it says, and he said to them, and here's where it is. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand 
all the parables. And here, then Jesus gives the explanation. It says, the sower sows the word. So what this is talking about is that when it says that the sower sows the word, the, the picture, if you go back and look in the, in the language, what it's, you know, in the original language, it's talking about, you know, back in the day, they would have, you know, whoever would have like a satchel or something, and then have a bag of seed, and they would walk, and they would take that seed, and they would throw that seed out. Now, they were throwing seed out with intention. What was the intention? It's for what was in the seed to produce, uh, to fall on good ground and then produce a crop, right? That's why we plant seeds is so we can get the benefit of what the seed has to offer. So that's the picture that's happening here. But in this parable, Jesus goes on to describe that there are four different types of ground that the seed can fall on. And depending upon the type of the ground makes a difference on whether that seed will produce what it's designed to produce. Now, let me make this statement. This is really important. A seed doesn't produce without the supernatural ability of the soil. There's a supernatural ability within the soil. And when it's talking about soil, it's talking about our hearts, right? So you and I, we have a God-breathed, God-given ability inside of our hearts to take what God says, to take the revelation that comes from God, to put it in there. It doesn't matter what it is. If God said it, we can put it in us and we can see what God said, work in our heart and come to pass in our life. So what this means is that we don't have to sit back and not operate in the authority that God's given us here in the earth. So I heard this recently and it's the, it's the, it was the difference between what a tran transitional, and I think I'm saying it right. Every time I say it, I question, am I saying this right? What a transitional and a transactional, um, what would you call that? We'll just call it the difference between being transitional and transactional. And here's, here's what I mean by this. The children of Israel, they went from being in bondage for 430 years, right? And when they came out of bondage, they were in a time of transition. Anybody ever been in a time of transition? And it was just like God supernaturally met your needs during that time of transition. I, I've been there, been there a lot. A lot of you are shaking your heads yes. And so they were in this time of transition. And the transition was only supposed to last like two or three weeks. I've heard different Bible scholars say that the, um, from crossing over the Red Sea to go into the land that was promised to them, was only supposed to be like a two or three week journey. But how many of y'all know that they were there for 40 years? That's a little bit longer than like three weeks, even, a, even if it was a month, that's a lot longer. And the reason they were there was because they kept going around the mountain. They kept grumbling and complaining and they didn't really lay hold of the word of the Lord. And they, it took them a long time to be able to get to that place and to the place that God had called them to. But there was a time of transition and so they had manna that was being rained down during that time of transition. And if you think about it, it's pretty incredible. They went from in bondage, they got set free. God destroyed their enemies. Sometimes you just need God to destroy your enemy in a situation, but it's never people. Amen. Uh, it's the, it's the devil. He's the one at work behind the, behind the scenes. But anyways, um, and so he did all this supernatural stuff. They go into the wilderness, and they're, for 40 years, their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. So let's say you had, and you had roughly 3 million people, is what I've heard some people estimate. There was the children of Israel, and there were some Egyptians that went with them. And you could imagine that there was quite a few that were probably just born right before that time, or maybe even right there was probably women in labor as they were crossing over the Red Sea. I mean, three million people, the likelihood is, I mean, it's pretty much a guarantee. And so there were children that had clothes that they made it all the way to the time of entering into the promised land and their clothes and their shoes didn't wear out. Now, I'm, I'm, not, a, uh, I'm not a smart man, but, you know, when I, look at, when I look at a baby versus like a full-grown adult, I'm pretty sure that I would not fit into those baby's clothes. Can I get an amen? And so, you, you know, you look at that and it's like, wow, that, that was a supernatural thing that, that God did to cause them to have the same clothes all that time. So in essence, they're, either their clothes were really, really, really tight for the ones that were like, you know, 30 and 40 years old when they entered in, or their clothes grew with them. 
and, and I would say probably it was the latter, that their, that their clothes grew with them and they didn't wear out. I mean, that's awesome. And they had manna, which manna means what is it? When you go and look up manna, because people say, well, what, what was manna? It means what is it? I don't think anybody really ever knew what manna was. It was a, maybe a bready substance or something. But it rained down. Every day they would go and they would pick up manna and they would have enough manna for that day. And then the next day, manna would rain down and the next day, so on, etc. All the way through the time of when they were there, God supernaturally provided for them. But you know that whenever they finally made it to the promised land, and this is so good, you got to get this. When they finally made it to the promised land, after they partook of, I think it says, after they partook of their first meal, the next day, the manna dried up. Coincidence? No. What was the difference? Didn't God want to provide for them? Yes, but no longer just on a miracle level. He wanted to produce for them on a transactional level to where they came in and they stepped into something that the Lord was teaching them how to steward something. So where I'm going with this is that a lot of believers, they go through life, especially like like us, like spirit-filled uh, word people, people that believe the word of God, and we, we live it, we all that stuff. Sometimes, and we believe in miracles, and sometimes what we're really wanting is for the manna to rain down and for our shoes to not wear out and to have supernatural signs and wonders. But we're living in a time when God has given us principles that reveal how his kingdom works. And I'm not saying that God won't give miracles. God is a miracle-working God, and I thank God that he is because we've all needed miracles from time to time. Amen? But what God really wants for us is to learn not to live from miracle to miracle to miracle, but to live from blessing to blessing to blessing to blessing. Because the blessing you and I have authority over, the, the miracles, and I believe, I'll say I believe we have authority to release miracles, and there's gifts of miracles and things like that. I'm not saying that. But me, if you're living from miracle to miracle, you're living from crisis to crisis. Does that sound like fun to anybody? Does anyone want to live from crisis to crisis? No. I want to get to the, and this is why in that offering a blessing that we put in there uh, about living from a full barrel and not an empty one. I like having my barrel full and living off the top. I think that's a better way to live, to live in the place of blessing. And that's what God has called us into. The way we live in blessing is by taking the word and cooperating with the word to make it work to our benefit. See, this is, this is different than how a lot of people think. And so to kind of to prove this, and I'll see if I can say this without sounding harsh, because I've needed a lot of grace in this area too. People will go stand in a prayer line and wait for someone to pray for them for an hour or two hours. I mean, you know, if it's like, it's if, if it's like the top-notch dog that comes in town, like when I go other places, people stand for miles. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, somebody, like, I can remember being, being in an, an Andrew Walmart uh, conference one time, and there was a line, people waited for, and I'm not against this at all, we need to pray for each other, that is fine, I've had people pray for me when I needed prayer for some. I'm not against this, so just follow me, but I remember being there one time, and there was a line in the service, I remember, it was just five or ten minutes, you were there with me, it was when we were in Fort Worth, and I don't know if you remember this, but there was a line it seemed like it was out the door, but it was a pretty big church. And I mean, there must have been a hundred people in this line waiting for one man to pray for them. And I, I love the, the faith because that to me speaks almost like the woman with the issue of blood. It was just kind of like, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll, I'll be made well. And I love that faith con the contact. But sometimes people have more respect for the man of God who can lay hands on them and then see the thing just go away than they do taking the word and working the word and speaking the word and believing the word and getting their heart in condition so the word will do what the word says it will do. And if you can get a hold of this, you don't have to go and wait and line for, the, for the, the miracle worker to wave his hand over you and see everything come to pass that you need. Now, if you're in a desperate situation, by all means, come to somebody that can believe God and you can receive a miracle. Do that. But th that's not the way that we're supposed to live. We just, and, but that's how most people live. They, they just kind of float on by. They just float through life. And then if something really bad happens, 
Then they'll go knocking on heaven's doorstep, knocking on heaven's door, hoping and a wishing and a praying that something's going to happen to change their situation. When if they, if, if they had been taking the word and had been applying the principles of the word, the principles of the kingdom, they probably could have avoided the mess to begin with. But if they had gotten into the mess, there would have been a harvest there to reap what it was that they needed to fix the problem that they were in. Can I get an Amen. So it says here, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones sown by the wayside. Here are the four types of ground where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So I want you to notice something here before I read the rest of these. This is very important. All four types of this ground are all four types of ground. The very first thing that they do before anything else happens is that they hear. Hearing is a prerequisite to, to receiving anything from the Lord in terms of the word. And that really is a, a receiving the seed, if you will. And so if you're not hearing the word, then you'll never have a manifestation of the word. You know, I don't have to be there. I'll say it now. I'm going to turn it around. This sounds nicer. Thank you, Lord. This sounds more gracious. You don't have to be at the place of me sowing seeds to know what seeds I've sown. You can tell from my harvest what seeds I've sown in my life. Naturally speaking, if you were to drive on uh, the property the Lord has just blessed us with, we're so thankful for it, uh, they, they're doing corn. You know, you can go and you can see the corn that's there, and you wouldn't for a second go, I bet they planted tomatoes out there. I mean, if you did, we would be like, hello, you got some, you got something, we need to pray for you. You ain't right in the head, right? You can see that there's corn there and it's very easy to see corn was planted. So whatever you have growing in your life, whatever I have growing in my life, it's there because we planted a seed. And spiritually, if we have things that are working in our life, the reason those things are, are there, be it good or bad, God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that will he reap, which can work to our, our detriment or to our benefit, depending on what we're planting. But if you've sown something, you will reap the thing that you have sown in your life. Hallelujah. And so the way that we do that very first is by hearing. You always have to hear first. But hearing is only the first step. There's more. Let's keep reading. And these are the ones sown by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. When does Satan come? Next week? Tomorrow? Next month? No, he comes immediately. There are times when people are sitting even in a service like this when the word is being, you know what I'm doing? This is, this, is, this is what's happening, all right, right now, is I'm going like this. Now, I do the same thing to myself, and I have authority over what condition my heart is in. I don't have authority over the condition of your heart. You are the ones that have authority over the condition of your heart. But I'm sowing seeds to you right now. And, you know, if your heart was like on the wayside, if it's hardened, the, the enemy would come immediately and steal the word that's being sown, even right now. He comes immediately. He doesn't wait. And he doesn't wait because he doesn't want any root to be taken and have any produce. In verse 16, it says, These likewise are the, are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves to endure only for a time afterward when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So these are ones that have a little bit of soil, but there's some rocks and there's some stones and there's some things in there that doesn't allow any root to take place. You know what this looks like? This looks like the person that comes to church or they listen to the podcast or they're driving down the road or and God speaks to them or they're reading the Bible and all of a sudden they get a revelation and they are excited, man. They are pumped. They're calling their friends. They're texting their mom. They're, 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 they're after it. I mean, they got it. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. This is incredible. And then like two days later, something happens that is working in opposition to the thing that was given to them that they were once so excited about. Now, all of the sudden, they totally fall apart. They fall apart at the seams like a $2 suitcase. You ever had a $2 suitcase? I did one time and I packed it, went to my friend's house and picked it up and it just tore. That's what happens with people 
whenever they have no root in themselves. You ever done any, any weeding before where you've gone and you had to pluck out weeds and things like that? I've, I've done a little bit. I try, Liz does most of it. Uh, but you know, some weeds that you'll go and you'll grab, and it's a lot of work to pull them out. Why? Because they've got strong roots. But other ones, you can just go, like in the middle of the driveway or something like that, you just go and it just almost doesn't take anything to pluck it out. Sometimes those are the ones that die the first the ones that are just like in the middle of your driveway. You know, you've seen these kind of things. Why? Because there's no root there. And so we have a responsibility that when we receive something, we have to allow that word to go deep inside of our hearts so that when it produces something, the wind and the waves and the storms and the sun and the lack of water and all of that won't cause it to die. Because the truth is, is that you will receive manifestation from the Lord. You'll receive a, a crop from the Lord, and it is a guarantee that you will have things come against that crop. Guaranteed that it's going to happen. This is why I love oak trees so much. Oak trees have an incredible root system. And their roots go, I've heard it said, I mean, I've never dug one up to find out, but I've heard it said that their roots go down deeper then, then they are tall. So if you see a 30-foot-tall oak tree, and I, that seems reasonable to me. I mean, if you think about it, oak trees are one of the, it, the storms can come, and they're usually one of the last kind of trees to fall. They are super strong. You know what I like even more than oaks, than oak trees, is I like redwoods. You know why I like redwoods? First of all, they're amazing. But second of all, they grow really, really, really tall. But there's something interesting about their root system. And this is all a side nugget. This is free, by the way, all right? This is a, a side nugget. This is very good. Redwoods, they're in groves. You, as far as I know, you'll never find a redwood standing alone. They're always in groves. And you know why they're in groves? Because their roots, they're the tallest, them are the sequoias, whatever. And their roots are the same, the same kind of root system. Their roots don't go down. I mean, they do a little bit, but they go out. And they're actually tied together in their root system, which causes them to be able to grow so big and strong and tall. And there's this prophecy that's been given several times over the last couple of years that the redwoods are coming. The redwoods are coming. The redwoods are coming. You know what the redwoods are? They're people that grow really strong, have a big impact, are beautiful, amazing, doing glorious things. But it's not necessarily because they have a deep root system, which I like that analogy too, but it's because they've been rooted together in the Lord. And whenever a storm comes, it can't take out the root of that tree because it's tied to all of the other trees that are around it. Man, you talk about a picture of a strong church. That's it. If we can allow our roots to grow together, there's nothing that the enemy can do to stop us. Amen. So it says in verse 17, and they have, in 17, they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time afterward when tribu tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake. For the word's sake. Why would tri tribulation or persecution arise? For the word's sake. Immediately they stumble, or in the King James Version, it says that they become offended. So persecution and different things that come to us, a lot of times it will come to us in the form of offense or for the sake of causing us to, for us to become offended. And it could be offended at other people or it could be offended at God. Pretty hard to receive if we're offended, amen? Amen. All right, I'm gonna move on. Now, verse 18, now these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, this is, I believe, this is where um, soil number two and soil number three, the stony heart, because it's talking about the heart condition, the stony heart and the heart among thorns, I believe are the two most common that people operate in. They either have no root or you know, because it's so, it's so stony, the roots can't go down. Or they've got soft soil, and it's proven that the, that the soil was able to produce because there were other things that were grown there. Notice there were thorns that were there, right? Thorns have to have the ability of the, the soil to, to produce. 
We may not like the thorns, but they have to have something there to have some kind of root system in. And so a lot of times people will have a soft heart that is able to produce, but they allow other things to be produced at the same time that they're allowing the word to be produced. That kind of hits home a little bit. The deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, and the cares of this world are what enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And we could go through and talk about each one of those individually. Uh, the deceitfulness of riches, I think, is it should be pretty standard. It's not about having money, it's, but it's about having a love of money, a trust for money, or a desire for money so strong. I mean, a, a good examples I've seen people before to where they come and they're, they're going to church and they're getting ministered to. And next thing you know, they're given and they're trusting God and things are happening, things are moving, their job situation's going good. And, you know, then all of a sudden they start buying toys and they don't come to church anymore. To me, deceitfulness of riches. And then also the desire for other things and the cares of this world. You know, there's a lot of cares in this world that are cares of the world that are not your cares to care for. That's actually a word probably for a few of you in here. There's cares in this world that are of the world that are not your care. And you need to cast it over on the Lord and don't pick it back up again. Sometimes people get busy taking care of things just because there is a need there. Let me tell you something. If I took care of every problem that came my way, I would never sleep. There's, there's that many cares that come up. That doesn't mean you don't handle things or help people or whatever. But you have to know when to pick things up and when to put things down. You need to know, like, Okay, this is something that I need to deal with, but these five things over here, I'm going to pray for them the best I can. I'll encourage them and I'll love them, but their stuff, their issues are literally not my issues. This is really, really important because a lot of times we're pressing into the Lord and we're like, God, I'll do anything for you. And the next thing you know, somebody comes and they've got this big problem and then your words come back to you and you're like, well, God, I said I would do anything for you. And you thought that the problem that somebody had to bring to you to fix was sent from God when it indeed was sent from the enemy to choke out the life that God has going on in you, to choke out the word that God has springing up in your life. Not, not every problem that comes your way is supposed to be your problem. There are cares that are of this world. And, you know, I love people that are merciful, but sometimes merciful people are the most naive group of people that there are. Miss Mercy sitting here. But, and I don't mean, I was kind of kidding, okay? All the Mercy people, it's not a problem because you're merciful and you don't even care that I said it. It's just, it's like, it's okay. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> but sometimes people, especially ones that are really Mercy-driven, they'll want to take up every thing that gets laid at their feet because they feel like, man, I can help them. Just because you can help somebody or something, See, there's other messages where I'll talk about, let's help people. This isn't one of them, okay? This is talking about, there's times when you need to make a dividing line of, you've chosen this, or you're walking in this, and there are times when you do pick up and say, I'm going to help you through this thing. But there are times when you don't, and you have to learn to discern that. Otherwise, the enemy can come and steal and rob from you. It's not every, you know, Jesus said, not everyone that, that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. I've learned that not everyone that says pastor, pastor is really one of mine. And it's not my job to help them. Maybe I'll have better luck over here. <laughs> but you, you need to take that for, for your own self. Obviously, we've got certain things. We've got kids. We've got different people that, we, you know, it's just there's, you don't even have to pray about it. You just, you take care of those people. But when other people come across your path, even people out and about, you have to learn to use discernment, use the voice of the Holy Spirit to tell you what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Jesus said the poor will always be amongst you. Does that mean we don't have a heart for the poor? No way. We should absolutely have a heart for the poor. Jesus talked about ministry to widows and orphans. Uh, you know, all through, there's multiple places in the world that talk about giving to the poor. We should always give and help and bless people that are in need. But understand, you're never going to do enough 
to stop the poverty spiritually or financially or in other, any other sense that's in the world. You can't fix the world. You're not the world's savior. And if you're not careful, you can take on the cares of this world that will keep you from really doing what God wants you to do. Thank you for that arousing amen. All right, you guys ready for the last one here? Nope, we're done. <laughs> Is everybody awake? You guys doing okay? Okay, you getting something out of this? I'm just messing with you a little bit. I know you are. So then in verse 20, it says, but these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. Can you guys give me just a few more minutes? I ask that every week and I'm just going to take it whether you do, but it's just kind of my way of letting you know. I understand there's a clock. I understand people get tired. I understand your backside can only take so much. But um, if your ears can endure, your heart's going to be blessed. Let's go over to Luke chapter 8 and verse 15. And I love this because Mark gives, I think, the best explanation of the parable of the sower. But Luke's account of the exact same instance, particularly in verse 15, he talks about the good soil. And I really believe he gives the best explanation as to how to have good soil. It's one thing to know you need it. It's another thing to know how to get how to get it. And so he talked about bearing and having 30, 60, and 100 fold. And last week I talked about the difference between, and I'll just draw this up here just for our remembrance. I talked about the 30 and the 60 and then the 100. And those have to do with not good heart or bad heart or better heart or the best heart, but it has to do with our capacity. And so once you steward the level of what God's given you now, and you continue doing that with a good heart, your level of stewardship will increase and you will have more and you will have more produce. It's just like if you are working for a master and he has given you uh, 30 acres to farm and you only farm 15 of it really well, he's not going to give you um, another 60 or bring you into the 60, you're going to have to, you're going to have to show that you can really steward that 30. Well, once you steward the 30, well, then you'll, then you'll come into the 60 and the 60. Well, then you'll come into the hundred, etc. And so this has to do with capacity. It's not about heart soil. It's not about heart soil, but it's about the ability for people or the, the, the faithfulness or the, the continuing to work steadfastly to keep your heart in a good place and to keep working what it is that God has given you. The, the word says that if you are faithful and that which is least, he will make you ruler over much. He gave the parable, uh, the parable of the talents. He gave one to one, two to another and five to another. He did that based on the level of, of faithfulness that they were operating in. So understand that the 30, 60, 100 is talking about capacity. It's not talking about heart condition. It's saying that with that good heart condition, you'll continue to produce more and more and more as you're faithful with what God has given you. But let me give you five steps, and we're going to do these very quickly. I'm going to give you five steps uh, to good, <laughs> I'll do good soil. If you can read that, you are a miracle worker, all right? Um, so five steps to good soil. Number one is, let's read the verse first, Luke 8 and 15, if we can pull that up here. But it says, and this is the exact same instance we just read in Mark 4, and I think it was verse 20. It says, but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And just leave that verse up there for a moment, because I'm going to reference it. And there's five things here that are really important. First, you have to hear, like with every other type of ground, any other uh, you know, always receiving the word first comes through hearing. So that's a first step, but you have to hear. Um, hear, and then uh, a, a, then you have to have a noble, a noble heart, a good heart, and then you keep it. You keep the word, and then you endure. And I'm going to talk about all these very quickly. And so when you're talking about Hearing the word, that's just what I talked about. You put yourself in a position, you posture, posture yourself to actually hear the word. You don't shut yourself off. You guys understand all of that very well. But when you're talking about nobility or having a noble heart, another way that you could say this is a noble heart is really speaking of integrity. It's speaking of integrity. 
whereas a good heart is speaking more of uh, character or having an agreeable nature. And so basically what this boils down to, and I think it's in, uh, I want to say it's Isaiah 1 and 19, I believe, is that it says that the willing and the obedient shall eat the fruit of the land. It's not just willingness, and it's not just obedience, but it's the willing and the obedient heart that will eat the fruit of the land. Sounds like familiar language, doesn't it? And so I, I learned this years ago that, and for a long time, like I, I decided when I was very young that I would obey God no matter what. It, it didn't matter what, I would always obey God. And I've stuck to that. I haven't done it perfectly. I've had plenty of times where I missed it or I, or I did disobey God. But as a whole, like I've stayed the course, like God, my life belongs to you and I'm gonna obey you. you guys understand what I'm saying. But I, I've had lots of seasons and sometimes even long seasons where I didn't have a willingness. Because see, you can obey but not be really willing. And this is just like the kid that, you know, your kid that you tell to go in there and pick up their toys uh, and clean their bedroom, and they're obedient because they're in there doing it, but they're slamming them and throwing them and doing all that kind of stuff. What's that? That's an unwillingness to do what it is that they're doing. So it's like, you know, they're kind of standing up on the, on the inside, even though they're doing the thing that you ask them to do. But the Lord says that we're supposed to have a noble and a good heart, and this is talking, again, about willingness and where is that verse, Liz? Willingness and obedience. Huh? Is Isaiah one nineteen? The willing and the obedient will eat the fruit of the land. Now, you can hear the word. You can be willing to do the word or to, to keep the word or obey the word and actually obey it. You can, you can be all the way to that point and still not produce what you're supposed to produce. Why? Because with every single word that you will ever have come your way, mark my words, mark this down in your book, mark this down in your heart, whatever you need to do. Every single word you will have come your way that's a word from God for your life that he wants to see happen in your life, you absolutely will have a fork in the road. 100% guaranteed. Every word that God has ever given me, I've had an opportunity to keep that word, to hang on to it, to hold on to it, to grab onto it, and to not let go. Liz mentioned bulldog faith, I think, earlier. I've, I've had the opportunity, and you have to, with every single word that's come from God, whether we're going to hang on to it or let it go. And it's usually we get to this place to where we haven't seen it for a while. We got the word. The Lord told us the thing. Obedient. And we hung on to it, but there was maybe a little period of time, and we got to this point in the road where it's like, well, I'm not really sure that I, I don't know about that. And it's at that point, whether we let go of that word or we keep it, we hold on to it. This is the Greek phrase, kataeko. I couldn't spell it for you, but I do know how to say it, kataeko. And it, it means, uh, it's so simple, it means to hold on. So when you're keeping it, you're holding on to it. You ever had one of those words from the Lord to where it's like you just had, it's almost like you had to hang on to the, to the word and just go for a ride. I've heard it said like this before, that if you can stand the pole, God will pull you through. Sometimes you just have to hang on to what God says, and it will take you to the place that God says that he's, he's called you to, or the thing that he's promised you, or whatever the word is supposed to produce, but you have to hang on to it. When you let go of that word, you have now separated yourself from the promise of God the promise will remain over here, and you will. It's the word that God's given you personally. And this is, you know, Paul told Timothy, he said, he said, um, what did he say? <laughs> he said, wage the warfare, thank you, with the prophecies previously spoken to you. See, when you get a word from God, the war is on. And the war is not on to get God to give you something. His word is so full of promises and God's on your side, you're never waging a war against. If you're waging a war against God, first of all, that's stupid because you're going to lose. But second of all, God's not the one who's your enemy. The devil's your enemy. But you know, oftentimes more than the devil, it's just our, our own self, unbelief. Uh, just we, we talk negative, different things that come up like that. And so we have to come to a point to where we're going to wage the warfare with the prophecy previously spoken. You know what the word of God is? People get all freaky about prophecy and stuff. This is prophecy. If you're in a situation where you need healing in your body, 
You know what you need? You need a prophetic word from the Lord that says, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. And you take that word and you stand on it and you stand on it and you stay with it. You stay obedient. You're willing to hold on to it. You stay obedient. You keep hanging on to it and you just keep doing that. And no matter what comes against your body or that situation or whatever you're dealing with, no matter what comes against you, you wage the warfare with the prophecy previously spoken to you. Prophecy is the Lord going into your future and bringing back the word that's needed to get you from where you are to where he's called you to be. Prophecy, I will. Prophecy is the Lord going into your future to give you the word that you need and bringing it back to you, giving you that word to take you to the place that, that you need to be. Hallelujah. Everybody needs a word like that. And when you get the word like that, because God will give it to you, when you get the word like that, don't let go. Fight with it. Fight with it. We've been in ministry now for 11 years. And when the Lord first called us to Perryville, which is where our, our first campus is, and we just had this, we had so many things that we went through, and we had this, this one word that we hung on to, and we hung on to it, and we've hung on to it, and we've hung on to it, and that was that I didn't call you there to fail. And then we had times when, you know, I, I, I mean, we had a time when we got, we got fired. Remember that? Remember that? Knuckleheads. Um, anyways, if you're going to start a church and set up a board, do it right, and don't put knuckleheads in there because they'll do knuckleheaded things. And uh, I mean, it was a totally Jezebelic Ahab situation and whatever. That's another story for another time. But God's a great redeemer and he'll redeem even your stupidity because it was totally my stupidity. But we just, even in that time, we hung on to this word of God didn't call us here to fail. Even in the midst of failure, we said God didn't call us here to fail. And God restored that church back to us and the rest is history, yada, yada, yada. But you have to hang on to it. All right, the last thing here. This is very important here. Notice, pull that verse back up, please. The very end of the verse, it says, keep it and bear fruit don't you wish it just stopped right there? I do. I read this and I'm like, yeah, let's just end right there because that would be better. But it says to bear fruit with patience. So go ahead and scratch patience out of your Bible because that is a horrible uh, translation from the Greek to the English. Endurance is probably the best word that we have to describe the Greek phrase uh, hupomene. So if you go and you look at your strongest concordance and you click on patience there, it will pull up the Greek phrase or the Greek word. I don't know if it's a phrase or a word. The phrase will have a couple of different words together. A word will just be one thing. But it's the word or phrase, hupomene. And hupomene, and there's this guy. Anybody ever heard Rick Renner before? If you've never heard uh, Rick Renner, welcome to, uh, welcome to life. So, no, he's, he's a, one of the most incredible teacher Bible scholar people you'll ever meet. And he's a Greek and Hebrew scholar. And he says that the Greek word, hupomene, the best English translation for it, the best wording for it is hang in their power. Hang in their power. And so you could read it like this. You could use the word endurance, but see, I don't like patience, especially, I like patience, but I don't like the word patience in this context. And the reason why is because most people think of patience as just sitting around and waiting and not getting too mad or upset until something happens. But like, that's, that's not what this verse is saying. It's actually saying that you should press on and push in and hang in there and keep going and keep fighting and keep working at it and keep your heart right and keep moving forward. And then you will bear fruit when you have hupomene, when you have hang in their power. And when you go and look up the word even, even deeper, it's talking about a working that God does. It's a supernatural working from the top down is how it describes it from the top down. And it's meaning that God is the one that as you hang in there and you push through the stuff, God is the one that gives you the ability to just keep hanging in there. It says in James chapter one and verse, I'm going to say three or four, somewhere around there. It says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials and various means diverse kinds of trials. So what, what does diverse means? It means anything you could throw in there. Whatever kind of trial you're going through, count it all joy. Why? Because you got the trial. Listen, if you're thanking God because you got a trial, you ain't right in the head. You thank God because of who he is and his promise in the midst of the trial. It says, count it all joy. And you count it all joy 
My brother, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance or hupomene. So when you hang in there through the tough stuff, it works in you. When your faith is tested, it works in you. This hupomene, this power that comes from God to just cause you to be strengthened and resolved and go, no matter what I'm going through or what I'm going to go through, God is the one that is strengthening me to be able to face the thing and keep moving so I can produce 30 and 60 and 100 and beyond that. So this is something like you have to come to this place to where you're like, God, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pressing in, and I'm not going to quit. And if you're wondering, and I mean, I could say this to myself because I'm like anybody else. I've been tempted to want to quit. Anybody ever been tempted to want to quit? Come on, just, oh, there's so much I could say right now. God, yeah, we can't quit. Because if you quit or you keep thinking about quitting or you keep wanting to quit, then what you're doing is you're not allowing that hupomene, that, that God ability to be worked in you to build the strength for the next thing. And oftentimes we're in the 30 saying, I want more, but yet we really can't handle the 30. And we're going, I want more. You don't, you got to understand something that with every measure of increase comes more responsibility. And when you have more responsibility, you're going to have more opportunity to quit and give up because you're going to have more things come against you. Write that down. We might need that later. <laughs> so you have to keep pressing in and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to allow you to build in me the strength that I need, the stamina that I need, the spiritual strength that I need to keep pressing on. You don't pray for, some people say, oh, don't pray for patience or you'll have trials that will come to you. That's not what that verse is saying. And they say it just like that too. That's not what that verse is saying. What it's, what it's saying is that life is going to bring you stuff. God, God's not the one bringing trials. You think God's bringing you trials? You need, to, you need to check up from the neck up. God is on your side. However, through the trials, if you will allow him, he will strengthen you through the trials that come your way that life brings to every single person. But you can't quit. It says in Hebrews, and I'm going to finish with this verse. And I'm closing my Bible, and I'm going to finish with this verse. In Hebrews chapter, but I don't remember where it is, so i got to go flip to it really quick. It's Hebrews chapter. So you guys think it's easy to quit preaching when you're on a roll, but it's just not easy. It's like all of a sudden i got a fish on the line, and I'm reeling it in, and I don't want to let it loose. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, therefore... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. And this is talking about the people the, from the previous chapter, the heroes of faith. They just kept pressing on. Some of them died in faith, not having even received the promise, but they died in faith. I believe in receiving promises from the Lord. That's what faith will do for you. But if I, but when I die, I want to die Still, I want to be found dead, still believing God. You could put it on my tombstone. He was still believing God. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a kind of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Oh, my gosh. I have a whole other message. You guys ready for another 45 minutes? Just kidding. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance or hupomene, the race that is set before us. But I want you to see something here. It says, let us lay aside every, every weight. Every weight includes that you can have multiple. But the sin indicates that it's one particular sin. And I've heard it preached before years ago, like, everybody's got a secret sin. And it's that secret sin that's holding you up. That you got. That's not what this is talking about. All right. When it's saying every weight, it's talking about because the issue of faith is an issue in your soul. It's an issue in your mind, your will, your emotions, the part of you that sometimes says, I just want to quit, give up, throw in the towel, but I'm going to keep going. But I still have these things hanging on to me, the frustrations, the hurts, the pains, the issues, the hopelessness, the whatever it is. And you're like dragging. So instead of running the race, you're dragging through the race and you're barely going anywhere. What is that? That's weight that's attached to you. 
lay aside every weight, every lie, every hindrance, every trouble, every pressure, every everything that would come from this life or come from the enemy that would try to hinder you. Lay it aside and don't carry it anymore. Take your burdens and cast them on the Lord. God can carry burdens. You can't. It's not your job to carry burdens. It's not my job to carry burdens. That's the Lord's job. Lay aside every weight or every burden or everything that would hinder you and the sin which so easily ensnares us. It is, everybody say, the sin. Now everybody say it like you mean it. The sin. You know what the sin is? It's the sin of quitting. I've preached this many times and nobody ever amens there very well. So then I, it's the sin, it's the sin of quitting. It's the sin which so easily ensnares us. And what ensnares you the easiest when you're running a race? It's stopping. It's right. It's quitting. It's giving up. It's so easy to just be like, I'm throwing in the towel. Liz and I trained for a half marathon. Welcome to my world. Won't you come on in? Um, <laughs> she laughs at my calamities. She already knows because she continued training. And when I got up to mile six, I basically, I was like, peace out, dog. I was like, this is ridiculous. Nobody needs to be running this far. I have nothing to prove. Were we married? No, we weren't married, but we were engaged. I'm like, yeah, I already got her. I don't have anything to prove. She's already, she's already impressed with my muscles. I don't want to make them any bigger. Um, so I think the anointing has lifted. Um, but she, 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 she kept running. <laughs> we need to laugh. She, some of you need to laugh at that. You, you, can laugh at my, you can laugh at my stuff. Even when it's not funny, just laugh all the more. I quit, but she kept going. Why? Why did I quit? Because it was just so easy to be like, eh. Because, eh. you know, even, even you, you can get to a certain point spiritually to where it's like, yeah, I don't have anything to prove. A lot of times people start running because they feel like they got something to prove to somebody else. And then you get to a certain point in your life and you're like, yeah, nobody really cares. I mean, I don't mean people don't, I don't mean people don't care for you, but like, especially when you're like this young buck in ministry and you think, you know, you're going to just preach and bring down the walls and teach and people are going to come flooding in and you know, you're going to write books and they're going to be bestsellers and things like that. And, uh, and you wake up one day and you're like, well, none of that's actually true. And uh, I don't really have anything to prove anymore. But are you going to keep running when you realize you don't have to prove anything to anybody else? Are you going to keep going because God's told you to run the race and just keep doing the thing? You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. Amen. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.